Welcome to another interview session that we have today on Palm Sunday. Today we have Simon the Zealot, who is with us. We're continue talking about crossroads. They're there for all of us. They sneak up upon us at some times. We might be going day to day easily, walking in the sunshine, enjoying the view, feeling at peace, and then it comes. A crossroad. A choice point. There we stand frozen. Which way? To the right? To the left? Do I continue straight ahead? What weights down each of these choices? Which way does our heart call us to go? Which one makes sense? And which is God's way? The answers aren't easy. A crossroad can bring daunting spiritual pain. It can bring us to our knees. It can even bring destruction. Today we have an expert on the crossroad that Jesus faced as he moved toward the cross. We have a sign. Remember the sign of Peter? And there's Simon the Zealot. The disciple of Jesus who was with him throughout his years of ministry and at the last as he went toward the cross. This is not Simon Peter. This is Simon, sometimes called the Zealot. Simon, let's hear it for Simon. First time out of his eternal life to come and talk with us today. Simon, welcome. Thank you. Would you care for a microphone? I don't think so. I don't think I need I it. You're over 2,000 years old, so. <laughs> Might need that there. Project a little bit. Welcome, Simon. I'm sure that you can share with us some things that are particularly helpful. But tell us, first of all, why do they call you a zealot? Zealot? You'd probably say rebel or revolutionary. I had joined a group seeking to get rid of the Romans. Some of my group were marked as wanted by the Roman authorities for acts of what you might call terrorism. The rest of us were quieter about our desire to see Rome out of our country and out of our lives. And how were you going about your rebellion? Mm, at first, I wasn't sure how to act. But then I came upon Jesus of Nazareth. Here was the one with power and authority. One who could act. I saw him feed thousands. I saw him still a storm. I saw him escape the religious leaders who were the lackeys of the Roman government. He kept talking about the coming of the kingdom of God. I wanted to be in on that kingdom, and I thought he could do it. But what about Jesus' words? What about his path towards suffering and death? I was so sure he was going to overthrow the Romans and establish the new rule of King David. I didn't even hear those things. I thought he was talking in images. How could you have missed, though, what he was saying? Oh, I was not alone. Most of his disciples were hoping for a new ruler and thought Jesus could be that ruler. Look at where, what we were seeing. Jesus was immensely popular. People flocked to him. Thousands sought him out. His name was on every lip when he raised Lazarus. Even the Greeks and foreigners were attracted to him. Then he did exactly what we thought he should do. He paraded into Jerusalem on a donkey, just like the scripture said the new king would do. He came into Jerusalem with the shouts of people proclaiming him the Messiah, the new king. Is that what people thought as they welcomed him down this day? Certainly. They shouted a kingly greeting. 
They threw their cloaks in his way. They called out, Hosanna, God saves. At that moment, he could have been everything we wanted him to be. He could have called the people to rebellion. He could have moved the masses against the Romans, against the, coming, against the corrupt religious rulers. But, but he did not. I understand now, but I did not then. I didn't understand how a leader with his authority, with his place as the chosen one of God, with his connection with the Father, could fail to act against the evil all around us. How could he do nothing but drive some money changers out of the temple and then do nothing? Nothing? We did nothing except share the Passover meal and go to the garden to pray. No speech to the crowd, no commands to act, and worst of all, when we went to the garden, he was arrested. And then he was moved to trial before the high priest. I was in complete confusion then. I saw Jesus with a chance to be ruler, choose to allow himself to be arrested, choose to, choose to allow himself to be taken to a mock trial, choose to allow himself to be humiliated before the council and before the Roman governor, choose to go meekly to the cross. How could he make a choice to suffer and die? I couldn't understand. But you do understand now? Do you understand what his crossroad choice was now? Jesus once said, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. After his resurrection, I understood, when he invited us to his kingdom, he was not asking us into a place of rule on earth. He was inviting us into a spiritual kingdom marked by believers who would follow him, even to the cross. So you also faced a crossroad then. You faced your own choice whether to continue to follow the risen Christ or seek another leader who might give you the success in the rebellion against the Romans that you wanted. Yes, I faced that crossroad. So did all the other disciples. We could have gone our own way, sought our own successes, found what we thought we needed, but we chose to stay with him. By the power of the Spirit, we stayed. Even though we knew that it might cost us our lives, Jesus warned us that we would be persecuted and even put to death, but we joined him in his choice. We chose to follow. But what about us here? We've not walked with Jesus. We've not seen his miracles. We haven't heard his voice. How can we make that kind of choice? Oh, but you have seen him in the hands of those who have loved and helped you. You have seen him in the miracles of the hearts of those who have changed by his power. You have heard his voice in the voice of those who brought you the word. You have been touched by the same spirit and can make the same choice. Well, it isn't easy to choose the way of discipleship if it leads to dissension and danger or oppression or suffering. But Jesus calls you to follow, to, to lose your life for his sake, to take the narrow road of discipleship. And he promises to walk with you to give you his strength and to receive you into his eternal kingdom. Remember St. Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time were not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we await and we await for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Because the Spirit intercedes for them, or for the saints, according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. With that kind of power going for us, how can we fail? Indeed, how can we fail? I remember Paul wrote to the Romans as well, and he says, In all things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor depth, nor height, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen. Well, thank you. Thank you, Simon. Enjoy your trip, trip back to, to heaven there. And, uh, maybe on another occasion you can, uh, you can come and visit us. Things weren't too clear-cut for Simon, were they? Things are, appear to be clear-cut for us when we read about anything in the Scripture as if there were no contrary opinions as if there wasn't any type of indecisiveness going on or confusion. I remember I had to read a book in high school called Great Expectations. Anybody have to read that book in high school? What a boring book. <laughs> Charles Dickens to a 17-year-old, oh my gosh, you might as well. Yeah, I had to read it in school. Well, the Jews at this time had great expectations. They didn't have to read a book, but they were searching the scriptures. And in Zechariah is where we have the visual of the Messiah riding in from the Mount of Olives on the back of a donkey. And the reason it was a donkey was because it wasn't a horse. Okay. Could have said cow. The reason it was a donkey is because it wasn't a cow. No, horses were known for doing battle and war. Donkeys were a sign of peace. They were a sign of complacency, just kind of going along. They would never use a donkey for a war horse. You can imagine, if you've ever known a donkey or been by a donkey, you're not going to get on the back and go, let's go. It's not going to take off running with spear or lance in hand and shield. There were numerous revolts against the Romans, one coming in the year 70 in which at that time, by that time, the Romans were fed up and they leveled Jerusalem. There were many who rode in from the Mount of Olives on the back of a donkey into Jerusalem. There were many who the people proclaimed to be the Messiah. But they all died. They all got killed. And then the group of rebellious people disbanded. Even after Christ, there were people up until the 1100s who proclaimed themselves to be the Messiah. Well, they didn't ride in into Jerusalem at that time, that time. So the Jews actually had a number of opportunities to fight for their freedom. Israel believed in the cause of fighting. They were willing to die with a passion. They hated the Romans. In fact, they wanted that freedom so much that any time a leader would arise 
who showed any type of possibility of overthrowing him, they backed him. Jesus Barabbas was one of these who was let free this next week. Well, Jesus' ride into Jerusalem was not unique. You heard how Simon was ready to rebel along with a band of followers, but in the end, their vision of Jesus and what they thought Jesus meant when he spoke and taught was an earthly vision. It was a vision of hope that would only fill their bellies and their notion of freedom for them in the here and in the now. It had to do with only the kingdom that they knew. They only knew the kingdom of this world. None of the followers of Jesus understood how Jesus' teachings of love and peace and forgiveness fit into the picture of the Messiah that they were hoping for until after his death and resurrection. This, his death and resurrection, was the transforming presence of the kingdom of God in this real world. As they all saw the presence of God's kingdom in this world was through a risen Savior, one who gave to them the reality of freedom, love, and forgiveness, not just in words, but in his deeds, in what he did. He initiated a revolution throughout his own death and, and, and resurrection, an eternal revolution against the powers that are in this world. Remember, we're in a spiritual battle. The prince of whom on the left or the bad side is Satan. This is what made every follower of Jesus from that time and now give up his or her lives for his cause. They would only be able to give up their lives because they lived in the reality of God's kingdom. Being a part of God's kingdom through faith in Christ is the only way to do battle against Satan and his kingdom, sin and death. These are realities, folks. Either you fight for your freedom in this world, what you want, what you expect, what you think you deserve, or you live in the eternal kingdom of life, forgiveness, and love brought into reality by Christ in this week that is unfolding before us. The apostles, the followers of Jesus, were all persecuted. All of them were killed, martyred, except for John, because they were part of this kingdom. The Romans tortured and killed Christians for the next 300 years. Those words of Matthew must have been a comfort. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Must have been great comfort as they were asked to deny Jesus every day in order to save their own lives. They were tempted on a daily basis to sacrifice him to preserve themselves. I'm sure glad that we don't have to do that. I mean, we live under a government that protects the freedom of religion. There is no persecution for our faith, as in other countries. We can keep to ourselves and live life following him without anyone knowing about it. We can keep our faith private and to ourselves. We can never be martyrs. So that verse 
he who loses his life for my sake will find it, might seem distant and irrelevant to us. Doesn't seem to fit with our reality, or does it? Do you now die a martyr's death every day? As you follow in your faith in this world, are you not called to decide whether or not to follow the values of this kingdom instead of the values of Christ? It might not be a life or death physical decision in the physical sense, but every temptation to self-satisfy, to self-glorify, is a preservation of your own life, of your own standing in the world. Every time you serve and love others at the cost of your own selfishness is laying down your life as you know it in this world. Being baptized in part of the kingdom of God, you constantly face this battle, this revolt against your sinful nature. To slay the old Adam, if you will, and confess Christ's forgiveness and live as a child of God. It's more than this, though. The kingdom of this world does not understand God's kingdom. In fact, it hates God's kingdom. It rejects the values, the people, those who confess Christ and would rather be done away with them than to live with them. Outside these four walls, there is no love for God's children. There is rejection. There is ridicule. Every day our faith is assaulted by the values of the world in which we live. And many times we would rather preserve our own lives and reputation, our own friends, by standing down our confession to God instead of standing up for Jesus and his kingdom. Doing so would certainly be losing our life for him. Today, as we throw our palms before him and hail him as our coming king, let us rest in the confidence that our king was and is victorious in this revolt against the values of this world and that the life he gives us in Christ he also sustains through his word and his sacraments. Remain with him as he triumphantly has entered into your life, as he will remain with you when one day you will ride into his eternal kingdom. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www gracealoneonline.org You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com